0: Voices in praise to you, you are worthy, worthy because of who you are, the God who is exalted that reigns today, has always reigned, will always reign, the God who conducts that reign in righteousness, in justice, God who is holy, holy, holy. Sovereign, but we give you praise not just for who you are, but for what you have done. That you are the God who did not spare your own holy, perfect son, but gave him up for us all. Mm -hmm. And the promise contained in that, that if you did that for us while we were sinners, while we were enemies, opposed and in open rebellion, fighting against your truth and your righteousness, if you did that for us, gave your son for us when we were in that condition, now that we have been redeemed, now that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you see us as you see your son, What are you going to do for us now? And the answer from Scripture is that you're going to graciously give us all things. And so we come, eyes focused on heaven, your glory, your power, feet on this earth, walking through the trials and the temptations and the struggles and Battle with the flesh and come to you as a needy people, but we come to you, God, believing that you have given us all things in Christ. Help us to grasp that more deeply and to come into and realize and use all that you have made available to us through your Son so that we can rise up in the very power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and live our lives in that power and be the men that you want us to be, the husbands, the fathers, the women that you want us to be, the wives, the mothers, co-workers, the friends. God, we we want to be used for your glory. Just remember the prayer of Jesus, John 17, end of his earthly life said, I brought you glory, Father, by doing what you gave me to do. Oh, we need to. Latch onto that, Father. We need to bring you glory by doing what you've given us to do. And I am excited that this morning that we're going to hear a key component of the story of what you've given us to do that'll be for your glory. So I pray that that would go out in power. And I pray for the 275 to 300 other houses of worship that are gathering this morning in this city under the name of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the truth of Christ. Meet with them in a powerful way. Let the truth be proclaimed and embraced. Let the kingdom of God grow in this city. I pray. And Lord, we at Cornerstone, we want to do our part. Use us, God, pour our lives out as an offering to you in service. Supposed to be a light on a hill, not hidden, but witnesses through the power of your spirit to the person of your son for the glory of the Father. Do that, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. You are in for a blessing this morning. As you saw in the announcement, Brian Molitor is going to come. Uh, Brian is a man that God has been using in some unique ways, both in the business world and in the Christian world, and as an author, many of you in this church have read a couple of books that he has written that we passed around. And Brian's ministry just goes hand in hand with what God has been doing here at Cornerstone Church. It's just an incredible fit orchestrated by God that has brought Brian here, I believe. He's a, he's a husband and a father of four and has raised up godly kids serving the Lord. He's got a great track record there. Uh, spent a couple hours just getting to know him yesterday, and that was a, just a kindred heart there, Brian. It was just great. I'm excited about what God's doing through your ministry and what he's going to speak. I want to say this to you. This is the greatest endorsement I could give, I think, uh, to someone stepping into the pulpit here. What you need every Sunday morning when you come here is you need to hear a word from God. That's what you need. More than you need anything else, you need to hear a word from God. I need that. Man, here's what I believe. I believe without a doubt that Brian Molitor is bringing a message directly from the heart of Father God to us. And so... With great joy, I give you the pulpit, brother.
1: Thank you. Good morning, good morning. Everybody doing all right? Oh, man, it's afternoon. Good afternoon. Oh, I don't want to get that wrong. I'm from Michigan, so my body doesn't know what time it is. It's a dinner time or something, but, you know, when you travel at the different time zones, it's just kind of bizarre. We are going to Australia to minister over there, and it was a 14-hour difference. My goodness, I, feel, I was walking around on my hands, you know, it's crazy. But I greet you on behalf of the Molitor family. Uh, the best part of me is back in Michigan. I've been married to Kathy for uh, 29 years, and uh, she's, a, she's a real trooper. Um, the calling on my life takes me to different places, and if you don't have somebody that supports you in that, then it's kind of ugly, right? It's ugly to leave, and it's uglier to come home, so she's a real gem. And um, as Pastor mentioned, we've got Uh, four kids that we've raised, and Christopher is uh, 28. Uh, He's a singer-songwriter from, uh, he's in Redding, California right now, a neat young man. And uh, Stephen is 25. Uh, He got married three years ago and has given us one granddaughter, Bella Esther, who is the most beautiful child in the world, of course. Am I biased? Absolutely, but that's how we do it, right? Any grandparents in here? How many grandparents? Well, you know what I'm talking about then, right? They're just. And I remember when before I had grandkids how they used to tell you that grandparenting was really awesome because what did you get to do with them? You, and then hand them back. You got it. And that's exactly what we do. Yeah. And I had, I had uh, lunch with um, my daughter-in-law and, um, and little Bella um, two days ago, I guess, just before we flew here. And it was, it was bittersweet, you know. It was bittersweet because it's just it's hard to leave them. It's just really hard to leave them. And it's so cool. I see so many parents out here. They you got young, they got the young babies, they got the little chewy thing in there, you know, that little, right? And It's just, it's just beautiful. It brings back so many good memories. So, uh, Stephen's going to have another one that will be here. So, I've got another granddaughter. Uh, her name is Joy that will be here next month. And then uh, the apple of my eye is Jenny, my daughter, who's 23, and uh, she's at home. She's working on a curriculum for girls. Um, God put it on her heart she graduated from university she could go off and do anything she wanted and the Lord put it on her heart to create a course for middle school girls to help them deal with the stuff that they have to deal with isn't that cool that's just that's just the, the heart of God in her and my youngest is Daniel Elijah so you think there's a little bit of a calling on that kid you know <laughs> Daniel Elijah yeah he's uh, he's quite a guy um, He's on his way back to school now. He had a stint in New York City, modeling, of all things. You know, one of my kids is a model. he, yeah, he looks like mom. All right, I heard it. I heard it over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But um, but every one of them, God has captured their hearts. And they're not, they're not little churchy kids. I mean, these are rough and tumble guys. You know, they get out there and mix it up. And they like to hunt and fish. And they've done 19,000 stupid things in their life. So... You know, don't ever don't ever let anybody kid you that, you know, young people do stupid things. They just do. And, and whether they're godly young kids or not, but that's why we're here. That's why we're here. And we try to keep them from doing the real bad stupid things so that they can stay in the game. Amen? So anyway, that's my gang. Um, th- uh, this ministry that we carry called Malachi Global Foundation was uh, birthed in South Africa in 1997. I was over there doing a project for... Um, the nation of Benin, kind of a long story, we won't go into that. But um, as I was there, I was there for two weeks. And just the culture and everything, the, the Holy Spirit was just downloading to me the importance of pouring into the next generation. And so I had a 30-hour plane trip on the way back. And during that time, I was just writing. I didn't sleep, I was just writing. And, and the downloads that were coming were really cool. So I came home. I did a rite of passage for my oldest son, Chris, who at the time was about to become 13. And 30 guys came. It was an incredible time for, for Chris and the men. And some of the guys said, hey, Molitor, you've got to write up an outline. We want to do this for our sons and our daughters. I said, okay. So I started writing the outline. And, Pastor, it was one of those weird times that you know you're hearing God, right? It wasn't the chilly the night before. You know what I mean? And you're getting it. And uh, I really felt like it was like, hey, write a book out of this. So I wrote a book, and then another one came and another one. So we wrote some stuff for raising boys and raising girls. And, and then churches started to call. And next thing I know, we're all over the world sharing a message of uh, connecting the generations. So um, what's really cool is uh, when I go someplace, I know it's an assignment. Uh, there's no circuit in my life, okay? Uh, we, we don't market like, hey, woo, here we are. We just pray, say, God, you open the doors, and this door opened, so I know I'm here at the right time for the right reason. And after meeting your pastor and his family, uh, the youth pastors, the, the children's pastors, and just getting a sense of the, the men's pastors and the guys working here and the ladies working here, there's something pretty special about this place. And, and you might think, well, he says that everywhere. I do not. If I don't believe it, I don't say it. I'm accountable for everything I say. And something's pretty special here. Pastor, here's another really cool thing. I've been at a couple of churches recently in the lower 48 where the ratio of men to women was, was stupid. I mean, it was like 20% men and 80% women. All the women are there kind of wishing that the guy would get there, and he's not there. So they're carrying the load, you know, and dad's back home watching Sports Center and Tarzan reruns. That ain't right. And I look out here, man, and I say, man, there's a lot of men here. So this is the right place. This is the right place. Um, what I want to share with you, um, I'm a teacher, not a preacher, so I don't, I don't do cartwheels and stuff like that. I mean, that would that, be scary for all of us, me mostly. Um, I want to share with you kind of a comparison of two people in the Bible. Is that okay? Two people in the Bible. And it's really fascinating to me when I see um, the examples for us in Scripture about people and how they were uh, related and connected to the next generation. So go with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy. That's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to start. And 2 Timothy, to me, is really about Paul. Because Paul's the guy that wrote this to Timothy. All right? You with me? So in, in 2 Timothy 1, 2, it starts out the greeting, the salutation. It says, to Timothy, my dear what? Who's there? My dear what? Say it loud. Son, my dear son. Wait a minute. Paul wasn't married? So is this like the latest scandal, right? Where did this Timothy guy come from? Huh? Out of the woodwork, Paul. What's up, buddy? No. It's a spiritual son. God in his wisdom brought Paul together with Timothy that they would be connected, so that Timothy would have a father figure in his life and Paul would have a son that he could pass on a lot of good things to. How cool is that? Well, guess what's fixing to happen around here? Right? That's what we say in the southern states. There's a whole lot of Pauls in here and a whole lot of Timothys out there, and there's going to be a connecting. Doesn't that sound cool? A whole lot of connecting. There's a whole lot of young people, and we'll just focus on the guys for right now, that need somebody that looks just like you to be a Paul in their life. Because without you... They got nothing. Without you, they're going to learn through sink and swim, trial and error. There's a lot of pain in that, right? Have you noticed? Trial and error is hurtful. Well, guess what? When you come into the life of a Timothy, you save him from a lot of pain. Now, ladies, I'll address you as well because there's a lot of young ladies out there that family is not good. I don't cast any blame. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just telling you there's a bunch of young ladies that need somebody that looks just like you and just like you, and just like you, to say, I got a little time. Let me give you just a little time. Let me teach you some things about becoming a woman that will really help you. How that sound? Can you imagine the joy in a young person when somebody like you shows up and goes, hey, I got you. I got you covered, right? It's important. We're losing a generation because folks like us are not stepping up and going, I got you. I got a little time for you, Right? I was in Chicago, Pastor. I was in Chicago. I was doing this big men's conference. It's huge. Just hundreds and hundreds of old, hairy-legged rascals out there, you know, old scrubby-faced guys. And we're teaching all this stuff and mentoring and blessing and rites of passage and all that. It was really cool. And we take a little lunch break. Well, at lunch break, a lot of times I just sit down. I'm not going to lunch because I don't want to talk anymore. Everybody clears out of this place, right? This is this huge deal and you got youth stuff going on. You got men stuff going on. Whatever. And I'm sitting there, and uh, I kind of dress like this. This is this is my preaching clothes. This is okay in Af- in, in uh, uh, where are we at? Uh, Alaska? Yeah, yeah. Africa. <laughs> Africa is too hot. And uh, I'm just sitting there. I probably looking like the gardener or something up here, man. I feel like I fit in. And down there, you kind of a little more fancy with the ties, schmancy, and all that stuff. And I'm just sitting there. And this young guy comes in, man, he's beautiful. This kid is just beautiful, like 24-ish, just the most handsome kid, just shiny. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Just this beautiful kid. And he comes in, man, he starts looking around. We had some of the books and materials around, you know, and he's looking around. He goes, man, what's going on here? What's going on? He's just all excited. One of these guys, you know? It's like, go decaf, dude. Come on, it's noon. Relax. <laughs> and, uh. What's happening? So I start telling well, you know, we're connecting the generation. We're getting the men ready to really mentor and connect. And it, this guy looked at me like I shot him in the forehead with a diamond. He just, what did you say? I said, yeah, man, we're getting the men ready to, to, to reach out to the next generation and to mentor and to love on them and, and teach them stuff, you know, how to shoot straight and how to catch that fish and how to treat women with respect and so on. And this kid starts crying. He starts weeping, and I, I don't know what's going on. There's no script for, li- for, for life. You know what I mean? It just happens. It begins to unfold. So this beautiful young man is standing. He's just crying. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? He says, uh, He says, you don't understand. He said, I just recently graduated from one of the top uh, Bible colleges in the nation. If I said the name, you would all know it. He said. Uh, When I went there, I knew there was a call of God in my life. And I was excited because I was going to go and learn for four years. And then I was going to step out. And I was slated by my group, my denomination, to be like the next big thing in youth. You with me? This guy's going to be the stud, star, speaker, evangelist for young people. He's got it. He knew there was a call of God in his life. He's going to get his education. He's all set. He says, but... I don't just need teaching, I need a mentor. So he went to his first professor, and he said, Sir, I'm Joe Blow. There's a call to God in my life. I need a mentor. Will you mentor me? And his first professor said, No, I don't have the... Very good. He went to the next one, who said, No, I don't have... He went to the next, the next, the next, and he finally found the one. And the one said, no problem. I will pencil you in for 30 minutes a month. I've got to go now. And here's this beautiful guy. God's call on his life very strong. He's leading a conference with a thousand young people. They're taking lunch the same time we are. A thousand young people. He's the stud speaker. And he's telling me, he said, I don't have the goods. I, I don't have it. I, I got the paper. I studied. I got the degree, but I, I don't have it. What do I do? And I cried with him, prayed for him. I said, Go get him, dude. Just go do the best you can. And so he limped off, right? Not physically, but spiritually. He limped off, okay? Let's not have that anymore. How many young people are within 10 miles of this place that are just dying for somebody just like you just to give them an hour a week, right? It's life-changing. Some of you are sitting there, you're going, you don't understand, Brian, I... Yeah, you know, I'm not this big, fancy schmancy preacher. No, 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 no. You're a man, you're a man of God, you're a woman, you're a woman of God. You have exactly what some young person needs, exactly what they need. And if you're open, God will connect you with a spiritual son or daughter. And even some of you in your 20s, you're going, "Oh man, I'm still just you no, 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 no. To a 10-year-old, you're a superstar, right? There's always another generation bumping up behind us. All you got to say is, sign me up. Let me help with the kids here in church. Let me help with youth. Let me help with the children. Pastor, what are we going to do? And a plan will come together. And you will transform the world around you. It's very, very powerful. So there's a call coming. So Timothy has this spiritual son. Spiritual son. I've got many spiritual sons. Some are white. Some are black. Some are different colors but they're my sons. I treat them like they're my sons. They call me when they need advice about marriage or raising kids or buying property or business and whatever. It's really cool. And I have time for them only because I made time for them. Some are going to come to you and they need you desperately. So let's see if we've got Timothy hearts or maybe this other kind. What I like about this too, I want to honor the women that are here. Paul makes it very clear that the sincere faith in Timothy first lived in who? His grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. How many grandmamas we got in here? Quite a few of you. God bless you, girls, because look at this recorded in Scripture for all eternity. What God wanted to affirm was your work with the next generation. And we don't know a lot about Timothy, but we don't get a sense that he had a dad around. Right? So... Who carried the load? Mom and grandma. Probably have some single moms in here. God bless you. Keep up the good work. Okay? It wasn't God's plan, but you're making it work. Because grandmama and mama carried Timothy to the point that his life intersected with Paul's. And when his life intersected with Paul's, I bet you mama and grandma went, "Ah." Can you see it? They got him that far. And and the faith in him came from Mama and Grandma. So good job and keep up the good work. And even when it seems like they're not listening, they're listening. I bet you there were times that they were about ready to whip on old Timothy. But they hung in there. All right? So, so Paul's talking to Timothy, and I'm just going to jump around here a little bit. And Paul says, What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching. A little bit later, he said, uh, things that you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses. So what we're getting the picture of is this is a man that took enough time with Timothy and they talked about a lot of things. So he taught him. So Paul taught Timothy a lot of things. Let's keep looking here. Over here in 3, 2 Timothy 3, one, Paul really gets cranked up. He goes, now mark this. Imagine somebody talking to and saying, hey, mark this. In other words, hey, Timothy, pay attention to this. This is really important. So mark this. In the last days, there will be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without (sighs) self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof, have nothing to do with them. Does that sound a little bit like today's world? Does it not? That's a lot of what's going on in the world today. And Paul's going, look, dude, you're going to be right in the midst of a whole lot of crazy stuff. And so he was alerting him to what was coming. He didn't go, "Ah, let him just get out there and sink or swim, man, whatever. just, Just give it a go, son, and it'll work out. No, he said, look, let me tell you what's coming. This is what a mentor does. A mentor says, hey, young lady, hey, young man. Here's what's going to happen when you go to that party. Yeah? Here's what's going to happen when you start driving a car. Here's what's going to happen when you go off to school. Saying, saying, be aware. That's what we must do for the next generation. Otherwise, we're just going, give it your best shot. Craziness. Let's not subject our young people to that kind of stuff. Wow, what happens next? Let's see. I love the Word of God. It's so much fun. Paul says in 3.10, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. Okay, How much does he know? What's the word? How much? All. All. This is a man describing a relationship that's real. This is not a guy that says, hey, mentoring means 30 minutes a month. No, they spent time together. Old Paul, in the midst of everything he was doing, had time for this young man. Isn't that cool? He knew all about him. Wow. What happens next? I like it down in four. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage him with great patience and careful instructions. When he says, I give you this charge, in essence, he's calling him into the ministry. Are you with me? He's affirming his life's purpose and call. He's saying, this is it, son. And Timothy, he was probably filled with doubt, like some of us still are about our lives, right? Anybody who's filled with doubt, or is that just me once in a while, right? And when somebody in authority comes along and goes, look, this is it. Yeah, what you've been feeling that God's calling you? Yes, he's calling you. I'll bet you Timothy was just one happy puppy. I he's like, yeah, man, this is it. Because the guy that's my father figure said, I got it. I got this going on and I'm moving in here. So part of our job as mentors is to commission the next generation and to call out of them what they sense and hope for, but they don't yet dare to declare. That's a big part of what we're to do. And I do get this sense that Paul was in a near panic at that point. A near panic at that point. And here's why. When we read on a little bit more, Paul says in 4, six, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Wow. I'll bet Timothy went from the mountaintop to the pit. Don't you think? If this is your beloved mentor, and he's going, hey, dude, I'm calling you into ministry, and you go, yay. And then dad says, uh, I don't have much time. I I don't have a lot of time to be with you anymore. And I want you to picture liquid poured into fire. The drink offering. What happens when liquid hits fire? And Paul is describing his life. He's saying, this is what's happening to me. This is what's happening to me. There's not much time left for me. And I don't know about you guys, but every now and then, I get that sense myself. I get that feeling myself. And I'm not whining about turning 60 next month. But what I'm confessing to you is every now and then, I feel it. I feel the cup tip. And I feel life hit. And I see the vapor go. And I go, you know what? The reality is, I don't have near as much time today as I did 10 or 20 years ago. And we are not promised a thousand years here this time around. So I better be about the father's business. So I think there was a sense of urgency in Paul's voice as he says, look, son, I'm calling you. And explains to him why there's urgency. And then I like this because I think as Paul was writing this, he probably took a deep breath and he went, "Uh, okay, I, I've fought the good fight, I've I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, and there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all that have longed for his appearing. So I think the guy went on the roller coaster of his life, and he called his son forward. He says, you're going to be following in my footsteps. And then he confessed, and he said, I don't have much longer here. And he probably had some fear and doubt. And then just God just came and touched his heart. And he says, hey, but remember, 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 I got you. I got you. You've kept the faith. You've fought a good fight. And everything that you've been promised and everything that you've been telling people about and risking your life for and being beaten with rods and hit with stones and shipwrecked for, it's real. I bet you Paul just went, oh, okay, okay, and sent it off. So when we read about uh, Paul and Timothy, you guys, what we see is an individual that gave his life for somebody in the next generation. Okay, so we got that. So that's Paul and Timothy. I want to share one more with you here. We're going to go back to 2 Kings 18. and We're going to read about a guy. His name was Hezekiah. He was a king. Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was an interesting guy. Here's how he's described in 18.5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. The Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. How does that sound for a legacy? Pretty cool? Would you like that to be said about you? He's like, yeah, I'm the man. Everything's good. The Lord is with him. There was nobody like him before or after. Wow, this is quite a, a studly guy. Let me read more about him, though. I've got to learn more about him. What happens here? Well, over in 19, his kingdom is being threatened. And when you're the king, you're kind of responsible for dealing with those threats, right? Man, it's kind of like us in our home. When our home is threatened, we're responsible. You see, you can't delegate that to somebody else. You can't call the pastor and go, hey, you're responsible for my family. No, that doesn't work like that. He'll help you. He'll pray with you. He'll counsel you. But that's not his responsibility. So the king has got to be responsible for the kingdom. Okay. So this big threat comes. And Hezekiah, what does he do? Um, He prays. He says, now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Mm -hmm. And then Isaiah shows up, the prophet, and he says, um, here's what God says, I've heard your prayer, and I will deliver you. Okay, so I want you to see what's happening here. You have a king and a kingdom. You have a threat against the kingdom. The king does what? Prays. And God answers and says, I got your back. I'm going to take care of this. And in one night... 185,000 Assyrians that are coming to destroy the kingdom are wiped out. Got it? That's pretty powerful, right? So you got it? Hezekiah prays, God hears, answers, the kingdom is saved. Pretty cool. Let's read on, though. This is very interesting to me. Over in 2 Kings 20, In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. When Isaiah shows up at your house, you're like behind the couch, pull the drapes, tell him I'm not here. You know what I mean? He's that kind of guy. You don't want to see this dude showing up at your house. But he made it through. And he says, "Uh, got a word for you. And you just imagine what he's just like, dude, lay it on. It's got to be something good. He says, you're going to die. Dang it. Ah. He says, you're not going to recover. Get your house in order. I don't know what that, what do you get your house in order? How do you do that? What do you drapes? What do you, you know, wash the floor? I don't know. But get your house in order because it's over, right? And when Isaiah says it, it's going to happen. He's seen ample examples of that for years. It's going to happen. Hezekiah's response. He turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, How I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and done what was good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Threat to the kingdom. Threat to the king. King prays. King cries. What happens? Before Isaiah left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord says. I have heard your prayer, seen your tears. I will heal you. And I will add 15 years to your life. Wow. Quite a turnaround, eh? You're going to die, boy, to eh, take another decade and a half. Kind of a switch, right? Okay. So Hezekiah gets another 10 and a half years. Wow. What's he going to do with that? Because up to this point, he's the man. There was none like him before and after, yada, yada. He's, he's just this awesome dude. He's defending the kingdom. He's praying. God is hearing him. He's answering. Everything's good. Hmm. What happens next? Uh, Down here around uh, 2012, the the king of Babylon sends letters and sends envoys to Hezekiah's kingdom. This is this is the enemy. Babylon is the enemy. we don't really want to be dealing with them, especially when you're the king. And. Hezekiah shows them around, like all around. And Isaiah comes back and he says, what did these men say? Where did they come from? Hezekiah says, they came from a distant land from Babylon. The prophet said, what did they see in your palace? Oh, they saw everything in my palace. Uh, There was nothing among my treasures I didn't show them. The king is not supposed to expose the the great things that God has allowed him to, to gain, whether it be people or things to the enemy. The enemy is not supposed to have access to us or us stuff. Make sense? And the leader was supposed to say, uh, no, boys, thanks for the letter. Thanks for the card. We'll drop by, do lunch someday. Get out of here. He didn't. He opens the kingdom up and just goes, yay, I'll come in. Check it out, man. Dude, I got gold. I got silver. I got weapons. Hey, check it out. No. He was not defending the kingdom. The king was not defending the kingdom. He let the enemy in. You following me? This is not good. This is not good. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up unto this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left. Let me break it down. I want you to picture somebody coming to your house. And your storage shed, and your barn, and your garage, and taking every single thing that you've ever accumulated every tool, your favorite rifle, grandma's dishes it's gone. Your cars, everything's gone. You got the picture? Everything that you own is being stolen from you from the enemy. Bad report? Is that a bad report? Absolutely. It gets worse. and some of your descendants your own flesh and blood that will be born to you now get this hezekiah was going to die and god gave him how many more years 15 more years he's going to have children he's going to have male children during that period of time and the prophet is telling him what's going to take place so he's just told him all your stuff's going to be stolen and old hezekiah i'm sure he's just standing there going uh-huh. Okay, all right, yeah, all right, is there more, is there more? Yeah, Uh, you're going to have more kids. And the kids that you have, they're going to be stolen too. And they will be taken captive by the enemy. Captive by the enemy. And then it gets worse. They will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. We have young people here. I'm going to use code. The male children will lose their identity. How are we doing? Everybody got that? Okay. All the parents are going, all the men are going, (laughs) right? Hezekiah's kids that are going to be born to him, instead of stepping into the line of leaders where they were destined to be and supposed to be, will be captured by the enemy will be taken to the palace of the enemy king. They will lose their identities as males. And they will serve at the whims of the enemy king. Is that a horrible report or what? Is that a horrible report? I just got to make sure I'm in the right place. Nothing worse. All your stuff's gone. And if that's not bad enough... Your children that are going to be born. Remember that extra 15 years you wanted there, Bubba? Oh, well, guess what? You're going to have some kids. But instead of serving God, serving you, following in your legacy, they will be captured by the enemy. They will lose their identity. They will not even understand their masculinity. And they will serve the enemy. Horrible report. I said all that to get to this point. Hezekiah has a reply. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Hezekiah replied. I'll say it again. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Are you hearing me? Everything that the previous generations have done for you and accumulated for you and put together for you, leader, and the next generation that God is going to cause to be born to you, will everything's going to be stolen. Your sons will be emasculated. It will all go to the kingdom of darkness. And Hezekiah's response is, that's okay. Because after all, it's going to be okay in my lifetime. What do you think? How does that strike you? This is the guy who's, when his, uh, when his uh, kingdom was threatened, what did he do? He prayed. And what was the response? God answered. Delivered them. Then he's going to die. He's going to die. And what did he do? He prayed. He shed tears. And God answered. And now comes the worst report of all. That everything is going to be stolen. And your kids are going to be stolen. They're going to lose their identity. And what does he do? He goes... It's okay. It's all right. I'm tired. I'm pretty busy. This old king thing. I'm pretty busy. You know, my life's been too full. I'm a little stressed out. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm taking a pass on this one. As long as there's peace and security for the time I'm still breathing, that's all right. I don't care about the next generation. In the two examples I've shared with you, you had one individual that gave up his life. For the next generation. You had another individual. That gave up. His next generations. So he could enjoy his life. And this is recorded in scripture. For all eternity. Here's my question. Which one do you relate to? I know which one you like better. But which one do you relate to in your life? And the call is this. God deeply cares about the next generation. Just as he cared about you when you were the young ones. Guess what? He cares about the next generation and the next and the next. Does he favor one over another? I don't think so. But once we reach a certain age. We have no business complaining and whining about what didn't happen for us. It's gone. Can't fix it, right? But it's our job to make sure it never happens again for another generation. It's our job to be like Paul who says, yeah, my back hurts and I don't sleep very well and I walk kind of funny. I'm not real good looking and all this stuff, not real eloquent, but doggone it. I'm going to make sure that there's some Timothys that can carry the ball forward because he knew the power of the call. He knew the importance of the gospel, and he knew his time was limited. And I would submit to each of us, our time is limited. We don't know how much time we have. And what's fascinating to me, because I get to travel all over the world and talk to important people, I watch some of the most important people that are spending their final years trying to get as much stuff as they can, experience as much stuff as they can, buy the little sports car and hang out with a little chickie and And all this stuff, and there's a female version of that too, by the way. So it's not just men. I'm talking to both genders here. And I look at that and I go, dude, do this. You're going to run into a real nasty wall. Because the reality will hit at some point really soon that that was not the call on your life. And there are a lot of people that will sit in any church service and they're going, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist, man. I don't have an official position. I don't know. There's just not much for me to do. Oh, no, 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 no. This room is filled with Pauls and Paulettes, I assure you. And there's a lot of Timothys, some in the room here and some uh, within just a few miles of here that are just uh, begging and dying for somebody like you to go, I got you. I give you more than 30 minutes a month. I got you. And just start pouring in there. One of my favorite spiritual sons, his name is Brian Pruitt. He's an African-American young man. All-American football player. Played at Central Michigan University. He was in all the bowl games on the Bob Hope football specials back then and all that. He's my Timothy. Okay? And we are a funny pair when we go speak together. Because I'm tall and white and he's short and black. But he's my son. He's my son. I'm his dad. Okay? Did, did, did we do something official and legal? No. Better than that. God put us together. You see? So are there people out there that need you? Yes. Will you answer the call? I hope so. Yeah, but you don't understand, Brian. I haven't lived the perfect life. I was a flaming idiot for 30 years. I was a godless fool for 30 years, man. Had nothing going. Had a face-to-face encounter with God. It all changed. You can start today and create a phenomenal legacy. You can be a Paul. Paul. You can be a Paulette if you're willing. What you have to do is fight the Hezekiah side of all of us that says, as long as I'm comfortable, as long as my schedule's okay, we'll leave it alone. You got to fight that. And if you can do that, God will empower you, and he will create such a sense of purpose for you, and then he will bring those spiritual sons and daughters, and you will see an amazing transformation of your life. Okay? Okay? So here's the question. I wonder how many of you, and we're going to start with the men, how many of you men would say, you know what, I'm not sure exactly what to do, but I'm going to trust the leadership of our church here to work with us and kind of figure out what, what strategically should we do, right? And, and I know, I understand, I'm, I'm laying uh, some little bricks on foundations that you guys have been laying for a long time about mentoring and so on. But how many of you guys would say, you know what, once I understand what to do, sign me up, man. I want to be part of the next generation. I want to help transform the next generation. Is there any man, are there any men in here that would say, once I understand what to do, I'm going to, I will do what's necessary. Anybody in here? If so, would stand your feet. I just want to see who this is. Don't stand. If if you don't mean it, don't stand. It's just that that's irrelevant. But God marks these things. He really does. He marks these things. He takes notice of his sons when they say yes to the father i've seen this all over the world i've seen amazing things happen all over i've seen guys get purpose back in their life they've been sitting there you got this hole in your heart yeah i love the lord yeah i love me but i something bam all of a sudden god says dude i've been waiting for you i got sons for you they need you desperately right pastor look at these men look at this man You guys can change Anchorage with this. Just this group right here. We had another group like this in the the first service. All right? So, okay, I want to pray for you guys. Is that all right? Is that all right? Can I do that? Now I want to get the ladies involved. Moms and grandmas, there are young ladies out there that, for whatever reason, things are kind of cockeyed in their homes. And they need somebody that's a mom or a grandma that can love on them, and teach them, and train them, and raise them up so that they can be the next generation of godly women. Now, some of you, I know, some people are really busy and all awesome, that but some of you in here, some, that's just stirring in somebody's heart. Who is, who is that? Ladies, who is that? Who's willing to say, once I understand what to do, uh, I, I'm willing? Just stand to your feet. Yeah, see? This is good. This is good. This is really good. This is really good. Okay. Let me just pray for you. Yeah, because see, there's, there, there's another really cool thing that happens for those of you that are standing up. Some of you have been deeply wounded. I'm not asking who it is. Some of you have been deeply wounded. Just nod at me if you think that's true. Anybody been deeply wounded as you were growing up? Guess what? The scripture talks about the comfort with which you've been comforted. You're going to give that to other people. And just by standing today, by an act of your will and your heart just turning to that next generation, you watch and see the healing that comes in your life. Some of you have been described, you've just allowed yourself to be described by the worst thing that you ever did or the worst thing somebody ever did to you. And after today, that's done. That will no longer be your identity. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are not sitting on the sidelines, people. You are stepping into the front lines. And God will put front line people in the front line when they're whole. You are whole. And that identity you've been dragging around with you, it ends today. It ends today. You are not what you did on your worst day. You are not what somebody did to you on their worst day. That is not your identity. You are a son of the Most High God. You are a daughter of the Most High God. and you are called according to His purpose. And your past is absolutely gone. It's absolutely gone. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters today. <laughs> oh my. First, we'll deal with healing. Father, I thank you that every wound that's ever been inflicted on my brothers and my sisters, that this is the day of healing. I just speak a word of healing right now, that healing balm to come over hearts and minds. I thank you, Lord, that the memories stop today. I thank you, Lord, that forgiveness flows that chains are broken to the past right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you that identities are being restored of whole men and women of God. I pray, God, that you'd erase every hurtful word ever spoken against any of my brothers or sisters here, Lord, words of, of condemnation and failure. We break their power right now in the name of Jesus. Those false images of self that say, I can't do it. Who do I think I am? We break the power of that right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. And Father, now I ask that your blood would cover each one here. It covers a multitude of sins. I thank you, Lord, that the past is completely gone and shattered. It no more haunts my brothers and sisters but now it's under the blood and it's covered, Lord. As far as the east is from the west, the sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. Now, Father, I pray for courage, compassion, and conviction for each one standing. And I pray, Lord, that the things of this world that would keep them from fulfilling their commitments to this next generation would fall away. And I thank you now for connecting within this church body, the right men, the right women, the right vision, the right structure. And then, Lord, we call in the young ones to be ministered to. Now, Father, there's one more thing. There's some of those standing that have young people uh, of their blood that are wayward. And, Father, you've done this every time, so we're going to do it again. The wayward ones from this body, the young men and the young women that have chosen to go a different way, I decree and declare that they come home today. And in the name of Jesus, I call them forth. I call them home from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And I break every ungodly, unholy alliance and relationship that's captured these young people. They will not serve the enemy. They will not be captured any longer. They will come home in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Father, thank you for these. I pray, Lord, you'd wrap your arms around each one and let them hear you whisper, well done, good and faithful servant. You've captured the heart of the Father for the next generation.